The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Amen. Take your Bibles if you would. We're going we're gonna to dive right into Scripture. Rob read in our introduction from Ephesians chapter 5, so we're going to spend a lot of time there. We're also going to spend a lot of time in Genesis chapter 2. My name is Brody Holloway. I'm the camp pastor here, and, and uh, so I'm excited to open God's Word to share with you tonight. Um, we, uh, I, I, I had one of my daughters, we went to, uh, to Chattanooga to a children's hospital, Erlanger. You might be familiar with that um, if you're from this area to visit a friend this week, and I like to stop at local dives, you know, to eat. I don't like to eat at chain restaurants. I like to eat at, uh, what's that show, dives, drive-ins, and something. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, that one. And uh, so I always like to go places like that. So we're driving down the road, and this particular daughter, uh, she loves hot dogs, and I love hot dogs. I just like a good hot dog. And uh, some of you are grossed out by hot dogs, and and shame on you, because that's like... That's good food. That's all American food. So anyway, uh, I was, uh, we're driving down the road, and, I, and we're, we're like in the hood, man. We're in the ghetto, and, and, uh, and I, I just like to drive through those places that are kind of off the beaten path, and we were in Chattanooga. We're driving through the hood, and I saw this something-something foot-long hot dog since 1939. So we pulled in there, and, man, it was an awesome little joint. We went there, and we got a hot dog. We're sitting there eating had a TV on, and the movie on the television was that movie, The Karate Kid. Y'all remember that? And uh, if, you're, if you're from my generation, you probably remember it really good. I remember when I was in about the fifth grade, I decided I, I really wanted to become a karate expert. You know, I wanted to take karate because I'd seen that movie. And, uh, but anyway, there's a scene, if you remember in that movie, if you're not familiar with the movie, I think uh, the illustration will make sense. There's a scene where the, the two protagonists of the movie are Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son. Remember, you remember that? And uh, Daniel, Daniel, this little boy, is trying to learn how to fight because, uh, uh, for a number of reasons, but one, he's being bullied. And, and so he goes to this old man who's like a great fighter and instructor, and this old man's going to teach him how to fight. Well, the first day he gets there, the old man has him washing and waxing cars. Remember that? Second day he's there, but he has to wash and wax the cars a specific way. He has to, he has to wash, wax on and wax off. Remember that? Wax, and he's doing it wrong. An old man comes over there and corrects him. He says, no, you wax on, you wax off. And so he's waxing on, he's waxing off. Then he's, uh, the next day he has to paint the fence, and he has to brush a certain way. He has to paint a certain way, and he's making them, you know, it's all in the wrist or whatever. And then the, I think the third day he has to do the floor, so he's, He's waxing, the, washing the floor. He's scrubbing the floor. And so after several days of just basically doing grunt work for this old man, the boy gets mad, and he says, this is stupid. All I'm doing is working for you. I came to you to learn how to fight. And the old man says, I'm teaching you how to fight, you know. And the kid says, no, you're not. You're just teaching me how to wax cars and wash the floor. And the old man sh- says, show me wax on. And the little boy, you know, he goes, wax on like that. And when he does, the old man throws a punch. Remember that? And he blocks it. Pow! He goes, show me wax off. And he goes, oh, pow, and he blocks it. Show me paint the fence. Pow, pow. And all of a sudden, he's doing all these moves, you know, just like that. He was a black belt, you know. He's a ninja. 
And I thought, my daddy's had me cutting grass, washing the floor, waxing the car. I should be a ninja now, you know? Like, I thought, I got this. And, um, but the point, you know, is really uh, there's such a spiritual application to the scene because what happens is we tend to focus on minutiae and, and details that don't matter a lot of times. Now, don't get me wrong. Little things are big things in marriage. Little things. Men, if you don't believe that, just let, give, give uh, one of the... Uh, like, give your wife about 10 minutes to talk about the little things that drive her crazy, right? <laughs> like, you know. Um, little things are big things. But at the same time, we need, when it comes to understanding this profound mystery that's laid out in Ephesians 5, we've got to zoom in on something that's bigger than the momentary issues in marriage. And the thing we've got to zoom in on is understanding the glory of God. The glory of God. The glory of God is the big thing in our marriages. And so if you spend all your time focusing on your marriage and you spend all your time focusing on how you can please this other person, you spend all your time focusing on how you can be a better husband, how you can be a better wife, the danger is that you miss Jesus in all of that. All of a sudden, your wife is your focus. Your husband's your focus. The marriage is your focus. And Jesus has to be the focus. Glory of God has to be the focus. 500 years ago this month, a lot of you are, are geeked out about this, and we are here at, at, at Snowbird at SWO. We, all of our fall retreats, we focused on the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. And if you know anything about the Reformation, Reformation was a time in history where the church had been, had been hijacked and derailed by, by horrible people who were profiting from what Jesus had put in place to be his bride and to be the gospel. And, and so the church was out of whack and out of sorts and the governments were controlling the church and, and it was a bad situation. And so uh, uh, over the period of a, a couple hundred years, men and women who said, we're going to hold fast to about five really important principles from Scripture. Uh, one of them is that salvation comes by faith and it's through grace and it's by Christ's power and authority alone. And it's for the glory of God alone. And it's based on the authority of Scripture alone. And if, the, if we would take those five things and make those the five basis of our, basis of our marriage, we'd have marriages that are going to glorify God and reveal the mystery of the gospel and bring glory and honor to, to the Lord first and, and bring honor to our spouse. If we would live out marriages that reflect faith and grace and Jesus and, and Scripture and the glory of God. And tonight I want to zero in on the glory of God with the idea and the premise that if we, can, if we can understand the glory of God in marriage, then the peripheral things of marriage will take care of themselves. I think that if we could think about the glory of God in, in, in a way that Christ is building a kingdom and marriage is a tool and a vessel that he's chosen to use to build that kingdom and to draw more people into that kingdom and to reflect himself more, then we would have marriages that exalt and honor the Lord more. Uh, um, I've never worked in manufacturing. Some of you work manufacturing jobs. I did work, I remember when I was in, uh, I think I was in the 10th or 11th grade, and a friend of mine, he said he was dating this little girl, and she worked in one of these little places in the mall. I guess you would call it a boutique. They sell trinkets and doodads and stuff that girls put in their ears and their hair and stuff like that. And he said, hey, man, I got a plan. We can make a whole lot of money. I said, how's that work? And he said, well, we go after the mall's closed, and we'll go over to this boutique store, and we have to do inventory. I didn't know what inventory was. And, well, I have ADD. I have ADHD as a teenager. It's like I, inventory's not a good job for me. Um, 
that's not a good job for me to do. <laughs> like, I need to be blowing stuff up, tearing stuff up. You know, t- like, I need a job tearing down old buildings, not counting <laughs> scrunchies, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, so I remember I went, I go over there with this guy. We go, we go to count scrunchies. And so uh, about, by about 3 in the morning, I remember about 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I was, it was at the Asheville Mall. We drove over there, lived about 45 minutes. We drove to the Asheville Mall, got there about 11 o'clock at night. And he had to write the SKU number. All this was new to me. I don't know what a SKU number was. Had to, I still don't know what it is. I mean, I saw him, and I, but anyway, I'm writing the SKU number down. And, you know, everything's handwritten. We're writing down how many of this, how many of this. And by about 2 or 3 in the morning, man, I was literally in the, in the fountain in the mall. I was in it. I was in that thing playing. I'd always wanted to jump in that fountain anyway. I thought, there's nobody here. I'm doing it, you know. And, uh, and I found that with, with wet T-shirt and jeans, having gone in the fountain, you could run. And those malls that are terraced have long ramps that go down them like this. And you could run and you could slide all the way down that ramp, you know. So I didn't get a whole lot of inventory and done. I had a good time and made memories. Uh, but if, you, if, you've ever worked, if you've ever worked manufacturing or, or, or inventory jobs, the, the danger in a job like that is that you get caught up in the minutia. You get caught up in the, it's tedious, but you don't, like when you're doing a, a like if you're, if you're putting together widgets or something in a, in a manufacturing assembly line, it's easy to not think about the big picture, right? We've got uh, uh, a friend of mine is here this week who, uh, who runs a, an auto dealership, a Chevy dealership. And so the guy that's, that's screwing a rivet into a bumper or a fender, it's probably not easy for that guy to, to f- imagine the finished product on the showroom floor as much as it is for the man that's selling and servicing that vehicle. Well, what we tend to do in marriage, I think, is we tend to have uh, a manufacturer's inventory gatherer's mentality where we're looking, we get stuck in the here and the now, what I got to do day to day to survive and get through the day. And if you work a manufacturing job and it takes you eight or 10 hours a shift and you do the same thing, it just, man, the mundane sets in and it gets long and it gets tedious and it gets hard and it's easy to just lose any kind of passion or zeal or listen, watch this, or vision for your marriage. Just like it's hard for the guy on the manufacturing assembly line to maintain vision for the company. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to understand that we're builders, we're glory makers, we're reflectors, we're those who reflect the glory of God. And if, if everything God has done in creation has purpose, and in that purpose is that the glory of God would be reflected, you were created for the glory of God and your marriage was instituted for the glory of God. And if that's not what you're pursuing, and if that's not what you're striving towards, then you're going to be left empty and wanting. And what will end up happening is you'll end up accusing one another of not fulfilling what you thought that person should fulfill in your life. And it really ain't about that person. And it ain't about you. It's about Jesus and his glory. And healthy, godly marriages are marriages that's where both people individually and together are striving and pursuing and chasing after the glory of God for their own life and then to reflect in their own life. And what's amazing is you can have a situation where a husband or wife, one or the other, is doing this, is, is pursuing the Lord and trying to honor the Lord and bring glory to God. The other person's not, and God end up getting glory in a beautiful way in that situation. Some of you may be in that situation where, you, where, where one of you is really trying to seek after God and the other one's not. And the, the reality is God will be glorified in that when one person will just pursue Christ. But when two people in a marriage are pursuing Jesus, and the marriage is not about that other person, it's not about me, it's about Jesus, 
man, then God's going to be glorified. When God is glorified in your marriage, you'll find joy, happiness, contentment, and fulfillment in your marriage. So tonight, on the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, we're going to look at one of the solas. Y'all know what solas are? Okay, we're not, we're not talking about the Reformation, so I don't have time to get into that. You can look that up. You Google that um, and read about the five solas of the Reformation. But one of those uh, was the glory of God alone. And we want to live our lives in marriage for the glory of God alone. And if we do that, we will be fulfilled. The mystery of the gospel will be revealed. And Christ's work will be advanced in and through our lives. So let's, let's dig in. Here's what I want to do. I want to start by um, defining the glory of God. I want to define the glory of God. The, the, glory, the, the glory of God defined is this. I've got a couple of definitions for you. I think one of them is from Piper. The glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. That is, it is the infinite worth of God made manifest. Read it again. The glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. That is, it is the infinite worth of God made manifest. In other words, if we're going to define the glory of God, we're going to, the way we do that is we say it's the holiness of God. So we probably need to define the holiness of God. It's the holiness of God put on display so put in, in, in display means where people can see that is it's the infinite worth of God made manifest so in my life if I'm gonna if I'm gonna sort of ex- reflect the glory of God then what I'm gonna do is in in my life I'm gonna display and manifest the holiness of God well what is the holiness of God when we talk about the holiness of God we're talking about the purity of his character the fact that what listen the fact that the that God gives life the life-giving power of God. We teach students about the holiness of God by comparing God to the sun. We say the sun gives life. We say the sun reflects uh, like, like, like light in every aspect of our, of our part of creation, specifically in our world. Light comes from the sun. Life comes from the sun. Reflection from the sun, energy from the sun. If you've ever been cold, like if you've ever, uh, some of you have been here and gone whitewater rafting, and the river here is really cold, and you get out of that water, and you get on a sunny day, and you start soaking up the sun. Oh, it's the best thing. And, and, uh, or a really cold. This is that time of year where in the mornings it's really cold. And, and some, about everybody here at some point in the last month, you wore too many layers to work in the morning because you got a little overzealous for fall being here. And so you layer up, and then you're hot in a sweater all day because it still hit 80 degrees in the afternoon. And so, like, if you think about the sun... Like the way it warms the earth. So it, it's cold in the morning. You're chilly. You got that chill, that morning chill. And as the sun begins to heat the earth and bring warmth, the, the holiness of God is like that. It brings life. It brings warmth. It brings, and so the glory of God is the holiness of God being displayed. So what we have to ask is how do our marriages reflect the glory of God? Pretty much everything in creation reflects the glory of God. In fact, not just in our world, but in all of creation. For instance, angels reflect the glory of God. The angels were created for God's glory. When we see scenes in the Bible, like in Isaiah 6, there's a scene where angels are hovering around the throne of God, and they're covering their face, and they're crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. So angels, okay, now let's think about this. Angels are those beings created by God who have never sinned. Against God, never sinned. Never done wrong. Never, like every, every married couple in this room, 
both people in that relationship have sinned against the other one. Right? We've done it. Did it today probably. Have done it. Short temper. Like, like sometimes it's really drastic. Things like adultery, abuse, verbal, emotional manipulation, stealing. Set across from a, a couple this week, uh, me and one other pastor from here. And it's a bad situation because the husband has lied and lied and lied and the family is now bankrupt. They've lost their home. They've lost everything. The wife had no clue because of the way he had manipulated their finances. Well, that's a grievous, heavy, heavy offense against that wife and against that family. But we sin against each other in little ways. When little ways become big ways, right? Attitudes, words, forgetting to, and sometimes you sin and you don't even realize it. I was talking, uh, there was a couple, and, uh, and he had said, uh, she had given him a gift, and he said, oh, that's really nice, thank you. And she said, that's it? That's what you're going to say? That's really nice, thank you? Well, in his honest-to-goodness mind, he had expressed gratitude, and he really liked the gift. But he like, and they were newly wed. They hadn't been married long. It was their first Christmas or first anniversary, I guess it was. And, but he comes from a family where like, if I say thank you, I mean it. If I say I like it, that's enough. That means I like it. I don't lie. I'm not going to tell you something that's not true. If I didn't like it, I'll be honest and say I don't like it. So he's thinking, I told her I liked it. She's going, in my family, if you like something, you really express yourself. And you make this person feel like they're really good for giving you this gift. And he's going, I ain't going to do that. That's insincere. So now we've got like this, we've got like communication problems. Like, we're, you know what I mean? And so pretty soon they're sinning against each other. And I'm sitting here listening to it going, y'all don't have to do this. Sometimes you're ugly to each other, you don't have to. Like you don't even, you go back and you think, that was so stupid, why was I doing that? Sometimes we do drastically ugly things to one another. Sometimes we just, sometimes we just don't communicate well and we end up being offensive. The bottom line is we sin against each other. And in sinning against each other, we sin against a holy God. And the goal for me in that sin and the reconciliation of that sin, it's not first and foremost that I might restore fellowship with my wife. It's first and foremost that I might restore fellowship with my God because his glory is what's at stake. More than my faithfulness as a husband, the glory of God is at stake. His holiness, his life-giving power to me, through me, in me, in my marriage, like that's what's at stake. And so I want to be, and so the angels, they get this. The angels have never sinned against God. And yet when they're in the presence of Jesus on the throne, they cover their face because they're so overwhelmed by his glory. There's a passage of scripture where Peter's writing and he says, you know, the angels have only been faithful to God and they look at our salvation, your salvation, if you're a Christian, they look at your salvation, they look at my salvation and, and they're, they're mesmerized by it. It says they long to look into these things. There's a mystery to it. Why would God love these people? They've sinned against him. 
They've not honored him. They've not honored him with their lips or their mouths, their hands, their actions, their minds, their thoughts. They've dishonored him. And yet he loves them and he heaps his grace on them and he pours out favor towards them and he saves them. And the angels are blown away by it because they're just hovering in his presence, covering their face in humility, saying, holy, holy, holy. What are they saying when they're saying, holy, holy, holy? They're saying the whole earth is filled with his glory. God's glory is displayed and we're worshiping him for it. And they're blown away by that. And they're going, and you love these people and you pour your grace out on them? That's a great mystery to the angels. God, see, God doesn't need you and me. He definitely doesn't need our worship. If he did need to be worshiped to be fulfilled, he would not need sinful humans to do it because he has sinless angels doing it. That's humbling. If you, if, if we, we could not be less significant. Than to, than to come to a realization that God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He supernaturally and eternally existed before angels and before all of creation. And he existed perfectly content. In fact, the scripture says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the Word was God. Namely, Jesus was with God, distinctly separate from the Father. But He was God, one with the Father. That is an entity. That is a person. We talk about the personhood of God. God exists in three persons. Three in one. We call that the Trinity. He exists that way before He creates anything. And then in creation, we think that somehow we ratify or fulfill or complete Him. That would be a wrong way to think about God and His glory. God is is supernatural and necessarily glorious in and of Himself without us. God creates us and expresses joy and expresses grace and expresses love and expresses mercy to us. And the angels are scratching their head going, okay, I get like you created them and you created us and you're God and we worship you, but they don't. And so why? Why do you love them so much? And God says, the way I love you, it's, it's, it's beyond your comprehension, but, but let's, why don't you as husband and wife, why don't you try to love each other like that? That's a high, like high, high, high shelf love to reach for. And not many people in our culture today reach for that love. And my right out of the chute challenge to you this weekend would be to begin to strive to reach for that kind of love in your marriage. The kind of love that Christ has for his bride that says, I don't need you. I didn't have to leave heaven and have to create you, but I did. It's a love that is greater than the person who is the object of that love. And so it's a love because it's greater than that person. It engulfs that person in all of their idiosyncrasies and their weaknesses and their failures and their faults and their shortcomings. So the angels glorify God. Creation, the Bible tells us, gives glory to God. God tells us in his word that creation points to his glory. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. All of creation is pointing to this beauty and manifestation of God's glory. Think about this. We see it every day. You're going to see it this weekend. I don't know. I haven't looked at the weather forecast. Is it supposed to be as pretty tomorrow as it was today? Anybody know? Good. Praise Jesus, man. That's an answer to prayer. It's beautiful out there today. Leaves are starting to turn. We're still a couple weeks away probably from that peak, peak bright color. But, boy, they're starting to turn. It's beautiful. Some of you are going to drive up through Nantahala tomorrow and go up to Wyabald or to Wesser Tower. If you want to hike to a tower, you go to Wesser. It takes you about an hour to hike out there. If you want to drive, I prefer driving. 
I'm an HP guy. That stands for horsepower, not Hewlett Packard. <laughs> I don't drive to the tower. Right, boss? Let's drive. Like, how fast can I get to the tower? So there's one tower you can drive to, one you can walk to. You get up there, and what you're going to see is the heavens declare the glory of God. And you're going to get up there and more clearly see where the sky touches the earth. And as far as you can see, it's reflecting the glory of God. Creation reflects it. God doesn't need your marriage to reflect his glory when he's got a thousand heavens, a thousand universes, and just what is contained in our own atmosphere is beyond description. Have you ever stood in a place and tried to describe it with words to someone and you just can't do it? Because it's glorious. I'm an outdoor person. I like to be outside, and that's one of the reasons. There's nothing I'm going to look at on my television in my house that's going to do for me what stepping right through that door and looking to the north tomorrow morning about an hour after sunup is going to do for me because God has painted a tapestry of his glory on the heavens and on the mountains and on the seas, which tells me he doesn't need me to reflect his glory. But it is because Christ loves me. That's a mystery that's revealed at the cross. Additionally, we know from Scripture that God is passionate about His own glory. Isaiah 48, 11. My glory I will not give to another. This is a good thing, and we should be able to identify with this. As husband and wife, you don't expect your spouse to receive or give love and affection to another man or woman. There's, there's, a, there's a place for jealousy. There's a healthy jealousy that exists in the world. And God is jealous and passionate for His own glory. Jesus came in God's glory to reveal God's glory. Remember in Luke 2.14, the angels, or we were, I was joking with, with uh, we were joking the other day, I, I joke with my kids a lot at Christmas time, I say there's, there's four angels named in scripture. Can y'all name them? Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer, Satan, fourth one, Harold. Hark, Harold, the angel sings. <laughs> It's a joke. It's not really, there's no angel named Harold, okay? So, like, don't, here on this 500th year anniversary of the authority of Scripture being celebrated, like, Harold's not in there, okay? But I kill my kids, and I'm like, hey, man, let's sing about Harold. But when the angels came, what, did it, what are we singing that hymn? Hark, the Herald, the, pro, what does that mean? Proclaiming. These angels are proclaiming the glory of God. Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. So Jesus came into the world with that host of angels declaring the glory of God is being revealed in and through Christ. Jesus brings to earth the full revelation of the glory of God. To that point, the heavens were declaring it. Man's heart, having been created in God's image, bore witness to it. But when the King of glory stepped into the world he created, the full revelation of God's glory was given. Jesus is that. He's the full revelation of the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So all things in our lives are to reflect the glory of God or to give glory to God. Scripture says in Psalm 96 verse 3, Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. So missions and evangelism exist because this will bring attention to the glory of God. We send people to the nations or we go to the nations because we want to make sure that we're nice to people and tell them about Jesus or because there's something bigger at work, namely the glory of God driving us 
at the root and the heart of the mission that we're on is the, is the glory of God. Psalm, let me read that again. Psalm 96.3. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. When we take the gospel to the ends of the earth or to the person in the cubicle next to you, or for those of you who go back to the manufacturing illustration, that work in manufacturing, the person next to you on the assembly line, what am I declaring to that person? The glory of God. I'm declaring the glory of God. Think about a professional athlete who a person would think about, think about, uh, le, uh, for some of you are not interested in sports, and so you're like, are we going to do sports illustrations? So let's do something that most of us don't know anything about. Let's do horse racing. I don't know anything about horse racing. Okay. Well, no, I couldn't tell you the name of a horse that's popular in horse racing right now. All right. So, but if we're talking about like the fastest horse right now known to man in the world of like high stakes horse racing, what is the glory of that horse on display? His speed. His, like, the thing that makes him known is his speed, right? Uh, an artist is known for a specific aspect of artistic ability. He's known for that. She's known for that. And a musician is known for her ability to play a specific instrument at the, like, the most amazing level. Okay, well, what Jesus is most known for in terms of our proclamation and our declaration is his glory. Declare his glory among the nations. Declare his glory in the way we love our husbands and our wives. Declare his glory. Also, Romans 5.2 says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So the glory of God is our hope in life. This is where we can trust God for our future, give Him our past, and let Him have His way in our own lives. The hope of your marriage in the future going forward is the glory of God. For some of you, you've got to work through adultery. You've got to work through the fact that you've fallen out of love. Or you're saying things like, well, I still love Him, but I don't really like Him. Or you're saying things like, well, I still love her, but I'm not in love with her. Quit lying to yourself. God doesn't make those types of distinctions of love. Gospel-driven, Christ-saturated, Christ-exalting, glory-reflecting love is selfless, it's sacrificial, and it loves that person for the good of that person and the glory of God. So we're going to love another person of taking it, so, so moving into the future and thinking, how do, where do we go from here? How do we last 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Or how do we get through another week? We rejoice in the hope, the glory of God. It's like our hope is the glory of God. He, he gives us our hope. And he gives us hope for our future. Listen to what First uh, Peter 5.1 says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Romans 8.30 says, those he justified, he also glorified. Here's the great hope that every believer has. There is coming a day when you will be made like Jesus forever. And what's happening between this day and that is a process called sanctification. And sanctification is simply the work and the process and the means by which God is making you by his Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. He's conforming you more into the image of his son. And the hope that we have is that one day we will be made like Jesus forever. And it's glorious to think that in this person that I've committed my life to, whether you got married a year ago 
25 years ago, me and Little coming up on the silver, that's called the silver anniversary, right? I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to do something fun, all right? It's going to be awesome. Or the golden anniversary, 50. What do they call 75? Platinum? Let's do it. If we live to be old people like that, what can you imagine? If over the course of our life, the hope that I have for myself and for my wife is that one day we will both stand before Jesus and some greater reality than marriage will define our relationship to each other. It's the relationship that we'll have to Christ eternally. That's what you're loving your spouse for. Something that's eternal in significance and in value. So we, we have hope in the future glorification. Romans 8.18 says this, I consider the sufferings of this present life not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in Christ Jesus. That means whatever you go through in this life, whatever suffering you endure, whatever hardship you encounter, from the loss of a child to the hurt and pain that your spouse has called you, the suffering you endure in this present time will not compare to the glory that's going to be one day revealed when you are eternally, physically in the presence of King Jesus. And so if we can take our marriages, put everything else aside, and make the glory of God the rope that binds our marriage together, the tie that knits us together, the thing that drives, the, the, the motivating factor in our lives is that I would glorify God in the way that I love my spouse and she would glorify Christ in the way she loves me and we would have a, a hope in the future and the hope that we have in the future is that a year from now and 10 years from now and 20 years from now, we're both going to be more like Jesus so we're going to love each other more efficiently and more effectively. And we got a lot of stuff to work out, and we ain't got it figured out right now. We're working through some things, but it's never too late because what's in front of us is the glory of Jesus, regardless of what's behind us. And the same power and authority that Christ has to deal with your past is the power and the authority that he has to complete your future. And one of the greatest mysteries of Ephesians chapter 5, this profound mystery that is being revealed is that somehow the two of us as sinful individuals can come together, love each other, care for each other in such a way that the glory of God is revealed in that relationship. If we'll get that right, Christ will be glorified in so many ways. If we want to reflect the glory of God in our marriages, then we need to focus on God more, not on marriage more. We each individually exist to bring glory to God. And marriage is one platform and opportunity for that. But if we want to bring glory to God then we need to focus on God. We were made for Him. Marriage exists for Him. We need to preach and learn and focus and concentrate less on marriage and more on Jesus and His holiness and His sinlessness and His perfection and His glory and the fact that He loves us even though we're unlovable. He saves us even though we would otherwise be unsavable. He makes Himself known to us though He would be unknowable if not for His revelation to us. And the when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of goodness that we had done, but because of His own mercy and grace. And that's exactly how He expects us to treat one another in the confines and the bonds of holy marriage. Holy marriage. The mystery that God would reveal in creation is beautiful. 
the mystery that, and, and the glory that God would display through angels in chorus at the coming and the advent of Jesus into the world is powerful. If you can imagine that scene, the shepherds trembled. Shepherds not scared of much, and they trembled. And creation declares the glory of God. And in all of that, as glorious as it is, the thing that will more clearly more powerfully reflect and define and show and display the glory of God is when two selfish individuals come together and love each other sacrificially for the sake and the name of Jesus and say, it ain't about me. It's about Jesus and it's about you. And I'll take back seat. I'll take back seat. So let's strive for that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship God together through song. That's how we're going to close our time together. So I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing and worship God through song. God, I pray that you'd take your word and that it would penetrate deeply into our hearts, our consciences, that we'd live with conviction. We would understand that you love us, that in as much as you give us the mind to understand and the heart to receive, that we would know that you love us with a love that is unfailing, never-ending, that you never give up on us. I pray that we'd have that same mindset and attitude in our own marriages. God, that we would love one another that way. We love each other really good. We love you really good. And I pray tonight, Lord, for, for marriages that are right now in a difficult place. God, there, there, there are people here that are doing really well. God, there are people I know here that are struggling. Don't know the situations, but this many couples, there has, there has to be. I pray that you would give people what they need. I pray right now over wives that maybe feel unloved, unattended to insignificant gotta pray that they would not find their significance their value and their love and the source of those things in their husband who might fail them if not today he will tomorrow but they would find you as the source of those things that fill their deepest longing i pray for husbands right now that don't feel validated don't feel respected don't feel honored I pray that they would look to you and understand that the value placed in their lives came to them through the work that you did at the cross and that they would not put the pressure on the wife that you've called them to love to validate them, but they would be validated by their true Savior, Jesus. And if we could find our satisfaction and our validation in you, then we could love each other so much more freely. And the mystery of marriage seen through the lens of the cross would be revealed to us and then through us for your glory. We worship you now through song because you're worthy in Jesus' name.